It was at this very spot on Sharon Avenue that two and a half years ago, I had a good Samaritan moment. At least that was the happy ending to the story, but it did not begin that way. The story began with me being a bad Levite, a bad priest, and just a bad neighbor. It was the morning of the Father's Day flood in 2018, Sunday morning. And well, I had to get to church. I didn't really know what was happening outside other than it was raining a lot. But here I was making this final approach, my last turn onto Sharon Avenue to get to church. And I saw a car literally stranded on the other side of the road. How much more of a good Samaritan story can we have? On the other side of the road, I saw it. I saw someone in it. And I thought to myself, eh, I'm sure it's fine. Somebody will help if they need something. And I drove by. I mean, I was in a hurry. It, it was it was getting late. I mean, it was six o'clock in the morning and church was starting in two and a half hours. I was in a hurry. I had no intention of stopping that day. But as I proceeded to go down the road and water was rushing over Sharon Avenue, I, I thought maybe I could drive through it, but with my little Toyota Corolla and everything I had ever been taught about not driving through flood water said, no, Aaron, turn around. So I turned around and as I turned around, I saw how serious the situation was as the woman was not just stranded, but stuck in a sinkhole on the side of the road. And so I got out in the rain and we talked and she got in my car and we drove around the corner and within five minutes, the whole road had collapsed and her car was gone. I don't tell the story at all ever to, to boast uh, because I had no intention of stopping that day. God gets all the credit in this story. God gets all the credit. I, I was simply going to drive by because I was being that bad priest, that bad Levite, that bad neighbor. I saw a neighbor in need, literally on the other side of the street, and I was just too busy to notice or to do anything about it. But God turned me around. I had my blinders on, but God knew what needed to happen. I wasn't willing to see my neighbor, but God saw my neighbor in need and God stopped me in my tracks. God turned me around. God forced me to have my eyes open, to see my neighbor and to do something about it. And that was humbling. It was eye-opening and it was necessary. And my life and the way that I see my neighbors in need has been changed from that very moment on. I get tunnel vision. I do. I get an idea in my head and I get fixated on it. See, I love a good challenge and I don't really like things getting in my way. My way of going about things is to confront the challenge head on and to just keep going. But here's what I know about myself. I know that when I get into that mode, that I become very self-focused, and I tend to not notice what's going on around me. I know this isn't the case with all of you, but I know it's one of my own faults and one of my frailties and something that I'm trying to work on. Just like I shared in the story, when I 
uh, intended on driving by a, a stranded stranger in need. But as I said, that, that changed me because I realized that even when my eyes are closed and blinded, that God's eyes are always open. And if I want to live like Jesus in this world, it means that I need to take the blinders off, open up my eyes and see people and the world the way that Jesus sees people and the world. Well, here we are. Well, here I am. There you are. In your homes or in your cars or wherever you are joining us today online. We're slowing down. We're not shut down. Let me be very clear. We're not shut down. Nobody said you got to shut Saints Peter and Paul's doors for three weeks. That that's not what happened. We made this prayerful decision. We made this prayerful decision in, in, in order for the primary purpose to listen to one another, to pay attention to one another, to notice one another, and then to move forward together. We sent out our rationale about this decision through email last week, and we've posted it on our website. Uh, you can find more out about our rationale if you go uh, to our website. I'm going to have our media booth guy uh, probably control my slides here. Uh, it seems to be that mine is not, my control is not working. So if you want to find us uh, and, and our rationale behind this decision, go ahead and Go to copperluth.org slash online only. All right, you can take that down off the screen. You know, we live in an incredibly contentious world. I don't, I don't need to draw this out for you. I, I believe you know this. But we're living in a time where someone with a different uh, political persuasion than you is somehow, some way cast as your mortal enemy. If somebody has a different political sign in front of their house, automatically you pass judgment on them and you pass by without even getting to know them. We're living in a time where it seems like you can't even speak your mind openly to other people because automatically a wall will go up and you cause offense and enemies are made. We're living in this weird time where what you do or do not put on your face in lieu of the coronavirus pandemic is somehow a signal to the world about the way that you feel and believe about everything, it seems to be. We're living in a time where you're unsure if you're supposed to cross the street or get near to somebody because you're afraid that if you get too close to them, they might get mad at you. We're living in a time where many of us live life in echo chambers, 
just listening to voices and opinions and sources of information that just put on repeat the same message that we are already convinced of and drive us deeper and deeper into those opinions instead of listening to other voices and realizing that there's reality on both sides of the fence. I believe that Jesus has called us to be people who take notice of other people and take notice of what's going on in the world. Jesus has called us to build relationships with people, in particular, who are different than us. Jesus has called us to be people who step across the street, in particular, for the stranger. When Jesus spoke the words in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, that was a world uh, where the Samaritan <laughs> was the lowliest of the lowly, according to the Jewish people. The Samaritan people were like the despicable of the despised, if you asked a Jewish person. If you said Samaritan to a Jew, they would say, blech. <laughs> Samaritan? If you were Jewish, the Samaritan was the one that you would never cross the street to help. But when Jesus is speaking on this day, his audience are Jewish people, and a Jewish lawyer stands up and says to Jesus, all right, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus proceeds to tell the parable of the good Samaritan. And we, as American readers, tend to hear this story as a story about uh, a man who helped other people and how nice that was. But if you were the original hearers of this story, if you were there with Jesus, your mind would have been saying, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, the, the priest is the good guy. He works at the church. The Levite, he's the good guy. He works at the church. The Samaritan? No way, Jesus, no way was he the neighbor. But the way that Jesus tells this story leaves us no options because when he gets to the end and Jesus says, who is the neighbor? There's no other option but to say the Samaritan because he was the one who showed mercy to the neighbor in need. Today, we are finishing our fall kickoff series in this book that we've been studying and this theme about being a spiritually vibrant home. And through the research that backed up this book and through the biblical story that that teaches us what spiritually vibrant homes look like, we've learned over the last few weeks that spiritually vibrant homes are ones that include messy prayers. That means that in the ordinary, in the mundane activities of life, spiritually vibrant homes put into place spiritual disciplines like scripture reading and prayer. We've learned that spiritually vibrant homes are ones that have loud tables where people engage in spiritual conversations with one another, turning any event or opportunity into a conversation about our faith in Jesus. And now, in this concluding chapter, in our final week in this series, what we are hearing is that spiritually vibrant homes are ones that have open doors. 
or in normal words, who practice hospitality. This is vitally important for a number of reasons for Christian homes to practice hospitality, but here's a big one. Here's a big one. When we practice hospitality, God works through our households for the sake of the world. When we open up our doors and invite others in, God allows us to influence other people and in some ways to also learn stories about other people. It's important for us to remember, and I think you've heard this, we've been trying to emphasize this, that God is involved and cares about whole households. So often in our American Christianity, we like to think that Christianity is an individualistic pursuit, that I know Jesus loves me, I know he's called me, I know he's got purpose for me, but what about we? What about our households? What about all of us collectively? Does God have a purpose for our household in this world? And the biblical answer is yes, he does. And often when you open up your doors and open up your hands and open up your eyes and open up your ears in genuine hospitality, God will work through your household. Now, this is an interesting question for us to ponder in these days, in this COVID season, about how do we open up our doors when literally many of you haven't had anybody in your house for months. And for some of you, this has been really hard because hospitality is your gift and you love having people over to your house and you're an extroverted personality. And so this has been really hard for you. For, for some others that are a bit more reclusive, maybe it's been a dream come true and an excuse not to have people over. But here's the reality. No matter what kind of person you are, whether you're extroverted or introverted, there is a, a place for us to be people and households who have open doors and, in, and invite people into our lives. I want to share with you what the word hospitality means. According to the biblical definition, we'll put this next slide up on the screen. In the Greek language, the word hospitality is the word philozenia. Philozenia, which is a mashup of two Greek words, the word philo, which means love, or one of the Greek words for love, and xenia, which is the word for stranger. So hospitality, by definition, means Love of the stranger. Love of the stranger. Hospitality goes back to this original idea we were speaking about, about having eyes that are open, to notice people, in particular those who are different than us, and to have a genuine love for people. It's what the good Samaritan had when he saw the naked, beaten, dying man on the other side of the street. Actually, uh, what, what we hear in that parable of the Good Samaritan is that Samaritan actually had one of, one of my other favorite Greek words. We'll put this one up. It's the word splachnitsamai, <laughs> splachnitsamai. I've, I've taught about this word before, but in that story, it says that the Samaritan saw the man in need and had splachnitsamai, 
which we nicely translate as compassion, but it's much deeper than that. It actually means in the Greek language to have your innermost guts, even your bowels, (laughs) to be moved so much so that you can't stop feeling this way about your neighbor in need. That's truly what it means to have compassion. The Samaritan was moved by compassion, splachnitzamai, but also because he had that philozenia, that love for the stranger. We'll take down that off the screen. My friends, people of God, we have to operate the same kind of way. We have to be people who notice others. The lawyer spoke correctly at the beginning of this story when he said the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We, we have to. This is a big part, again, of why we're slowing down for three weeks, why, we, why we're moving everything online so that we have time again, to listen to one another, to pay attention to one another, to take our blinders off, to get off of whatever agenda we're focusing on, whether right or wrong, but not to have our own agenda be the primary agenda. We want our focus to be on Jesus the good shepherd who knows us by name and calls us according to his purpose. We want to listen more to the voice of the shepherd than to whatever politician we want to win. We want to listen to Jesus more than the people commenting on our social media posts. We want to hear the voice of Jesus and listen to the love of Jesus because Jesus is the one who loves the stranger, loves the outcast, loves the one that society walks by. That's the purpose of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who comes to you, who are incapable of doing anything on your own. Jesus comes to you, beaten, broken, belittled, and he binds you up, and he builds you up as the people of God into one body in Jesus Christ, united in that one baptism, for there is only one Lord Jesus Christ, and in him we are one. Opening up our doors And opening up our lives allows us to live like Jesus. Because when we open up our doors to the stranger, you never know what role that stranger is going to play in our lives. Just think about it. Those of you who are married, do you remember the time when your spouse was a stranger? And now your spouse is no longer your stranger, but you are one together. So it goes in this world when we open up our lives with biblical hospitality to people who are different than us. We never know what God is going to do in those opportunities. Now we recognize 
that not a lot of you are going to be physically opening up your doors wide open or taking the doors off your house and letting everybody in during this season. So how do we practice this biblical hospitality in light of our current state of affairs in this world? Can we still be open, hospitable people? And what does that look like? I believe, yes, we can. Absolutely. Yes, we can. And so we're going to put this into practice. First of all, I want to highly encourage you to pray. First of all, pray. Pray, first of all, that God will set aside your agenda, set, set aside your blinders, take the earmuffs off, first of all, so that you can notice people. And pray, just pray, God, let me notice people. And then the second prayer is, God, let me step into these opportunities in obedience. Because once you pray, Lord, let me notice, you better believe he's going to make you notice. And from there on, it's all about obedience to the call to love your neighbor. So we're going to put some of this into practice. I want to give you a challenge, all right? Here's the challenge. We're going to call this the $20 household challenge, all right? Some of you who have been with us in our church over the last number of years, we've done something similar a couple of different times. We did something called the $2 challenge where we gave you $2 and we said, go and make a difference in somebody's life with $2. This challenge is it's similar to that, except two things are different. One, you get more money. <laughs> We're going to give you $20. The second is we want you to do this not as an individualistic pursuit, but as a household pursuit. We want your household to pray together, God, use us as a household to make a difference in this world according to your purpose. So here's how this is going to work. We know that you're not here today, so I can't hand you an envelope, but we have envelopes prepared that have a $20 bill in them. Over the next three weeks, sometime in these next three weeks, we want you to stop by our church. We've got regular office hours. If those hours don't work, let us know. We'll figure it out. You can put this up on the, on the slide. Between Monday and Thursday, starting tomorrow from 8.30 in the morning to 3.30, come say hi to our office manager, Judy. She'll give you an envelope with $20 in it. The rules are on the front of what we want you to accomplish. Some of you might be thinking a couple of different things. You might be thinking... I don't need $20. I've got, I've got 20 bucks. I can go do something and, and make a difference. That's true. I, a lot of you have $20 that you can go and do something with. But if you're anything like me, I would say that, and then I would probably just revert back to normal. I think if you pick one of these up for the specific purpose of making a difference, you'll have a different mentality about it. Hang it on your fridge with a, a magnet until God unveils to you how your prayers are being answered and let it be something your household does together. Just so you know, this money comes from a fund that we've set aside to be a fund to meet community needs. And we use this fund to, to do projects for our community. And what we just figure is in this, think about the multiplying effort the, the multiplication of ministries that can happen if each of us simply do what God has called us to do by noticing our neighbors in need and loving and serving them. On the front of the envelope, we've given you a variety of ideas of what you can do, but let me just share one other. That I was talking to my brother the other day, and he said something that he and his wife did to get to know their neighbors 
was they bought paper plates and napkins and uh, that sort of stuff, and they knocked on their neighbor's door and, and they said, hey, we're here to do your dishes for the night. We're, we're so-and-so. And so there's another kind of idea for you as well. I just want to conclude with this final thought. I don't like to think how things would have been different on that day of the Father's Day flood had God not turned me around. I, I really don't like to let my mind go to that place. But that's not what happened. God did turn me around, and I give him thanks because through that, again, my eyes have been opened. I, I want to live life as a person who notices people, who does not get fixed on my own ideas and agendas, just plowing forward. So people of God, we hear you and we notice you, and as, as your pastors, we love you and we hear you and we want to listen to you ultimately as we listen to the good shepherd Jesus. Let's ultimately hear his voice as he calls us to be his people together. And then let us live boldly, stepping across the street, in particular for the stranger and our neighbor in need. Go in his grace, with his mercy, and with his peace. Amen.